Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with the joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God had made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to have a go with a box today to lift my notes up a bit higher so I can see them a bit clearer. So, sorry about the box. My apologies. Uh, I want to talk to you uh, this afternoon if you are a person who believes in God. You may not be a regular churchgoer, or you may be. In fact, you may consider yourself quite religious or you may have real doubts about the institutional church. 
Perhaps you're a person who grew up in the church or you've attended church at times in your life. Or perhaps you've been very committed to the church in the past. But you know that something is not quite right. You don't feel at peace about matters of faith. You believe in God, but you don't feel at peace and you want to. Faith is somewhere on your to-do list, but you haven't settled the matter. You are the person that God is speaking to today. The passage that we've just had read for us is the first sermon ever preached in the history of the Christian church. And it was preached to people who believed in God. In fact, they were people who would happily have called themselves religious. More than that, they were willing to make an effort for that faith. Many in that large crowd that had gathered to listen to Peter had come from great distances to visit Jerusalem because of that city's connection with faith. Some had moved from overseas and had been in the city for some time. Some were really quite devout. Others were perhaps a bit skeptical, even scornful of those who claimed to have encountered God. But what they all had in common was that they were all open to hearing more about faith in God. And they were all aware that something was missing in their knowledge of God. My first role in the church was in youth work. I had a, a band and a drama team that I was part of, and we used to go into schools and churches in order to tell people about Jesus. Uh, at the time, the British government had made a change to the law. Uh, they'd said that all schools had to gather their entire uh, pupil, the body of pupils together in one place every single day and have what they called an act of majority Christian worship, whatever that means. So the whole school was supposed to gather each day for this. And most schools couldn't manage that and they were uh, frantic for help with that. And so um, my, me and my team were invited a lot to do school assemblies. And one school that we went to work in, um, each day they managed to get together one whole year group. They didn't have a hall big enough for the whole school. And uh, we were invited to come and to do a series of assemblies for the fifth form. That would be grade 10 in this country. And so we did, I don't remember, I think it was four or five consecutive weeks where we talked about what does it mean to be a Christian? And we uh, played silly games and did drama sketches and played music and such like as we went. Well, the head of year in that particular school for that particular grade was a, a PE teacher, a physical education teacher. She was head of the athletic programs for that high school. She was, well, let's say formidable. Maybe we could even say stern. Uh, Put it this way, when she entered the room, the entire room went silent instantly. And week by week we did our assemblies and we taught people a little bit about Christianity. And on the last week we talked about what is a Christian. 
And I said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in the parking lot makes you a car. Praying doesn't make you a Christian. Anyone can pray. All of us pray when it comes to taking our exams. Reading the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Being a good person doesn't make you a Christian. Not doing certain things like lying and cheating and stealing, that doesn't make you a Christian either. All of these may be good things, but they're not what the Bible says a Christian is. And saying you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian either. Even believing in God doesn't make you a Christian. After all, the devil believes in God. No, there's only one thing that makes you a Christian, and that is trusting your life entirely into the hands of Jesus. Well, I got to the end of that assembly, and at the end I offered people a, a little booklet if they wanted to come and find out a bit more about what it meant to be a Christian. You were allowed to do that in schools in England at the time. And as I finished, this intimidating teacher came slowly to the front, and in front of 200 pupils and all of the staff there, she said, I always thought I was a Christian, but I think I've just become one. Well, you could have heard a pin drop. And then she encouraged all of these high schoolers to come and to take a booklet. As we'd been talking about what it meant to follow Jesus over those four or five weeks, she had realized that her experience of God was not the same. And as she'd listened that particular day, she'd recognized that all her beliefs, all her discipline, all her goodness, for all of that, she didn't know God. She didn't have a living relationship with him. And right there and then, because that was the sort of no-nonsense person she was, she'd taken the opportunity to pray and tell him that that's what she wanted. And she wasn't afraid to declare publicly that that was the case in front of others. In the same way as Peter finished this great message about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on all people, many in the great crowd who gathered to listen to him had come under conviction of the Spirit. And they responded to the good news about Jesus, asking, Brothers, what shall we do? It was obvious to them that some response was required. When we hear the message about Jesus, that he died in our place on the cross, taking the punishment that you and I deserve for our sin, for all the things we've thought wrong, and said wrong, and done wrong, and for all the good things we've not done. When Jesus died on the cross, to take the punishment for that. And then he was raised from the dead to prove that his message was true and that he, he really had defeated even death. When we hear that message, it's not enough simply to agree with it. There's a response to be made. Jesus' message comes with an RSVP. So Peter responds to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Turn around. Be baptised and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, as good Jews who were gathered there that day, they would have expected the first and the third of those things. This idea of repentance to stop walking away from God and to turn around and back towards him, that would have been a familiar idea. You see it all over the prophets, all over the Old Testament. And this third idea too, receiving the Holy Spirit, that was clearly an idea that they could draw from the Old Testament too. The great heroes of the faith had received the Holy Spirit. But what they weren't expecting was this call to be baptised. Baptism was only for proselytes, that is, non-Jews who were converting to Judaism. They would be baptised in order to, to wash off the defilement of their former non-Jewish lives. Notice as well, Peter says, be baptised every one of you. That sometimes sounds to us a bit like verbal filler, you know, when we say each and every day, it's just words that we say. But that's not the case here. As far as this crowd were concerned, Jews didn't need to be baptised because they were Jews. They were the people of God. Their ethnic identity made them acceptable to God. What Peter says is that each of them needs to make an individual decision to repent and to demonstrate that decision publicly by being baptised. Baptism in the name of Jesus, commitment to, identification with Jesus, that's what will truly identify them as part of the people of God. And it is just the same for us here today. As I said that day, going to church services, being brought up in a Christian home, reading the Bible, even prayer, these things don't make you a Christian. And this Jewish crowd all knew their Hebrew Bible well. They all prayed and regularly attended synagogue. Here they were, after all, having travelled from all over the Roman world just to be in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. But none of that was enough. No, what was needed was real, personal repentance, demonstrated in this uncomfortable public act of baptism. I wonder when the last time was that you had a formal invitation to some prestigious event. You used to get a card in the mail, do you remember? Often it would have a metallic edge on it and be beautifully printed. But even for the smartest events these days, you tend to just get an email now. And one of the reasons for that is that when it only involves clicking a button, many people will reply to the RSVP, who wouldn't have bothered to write a letter in response. A relationship with the living God is a free gift from Jesus. It costs us nothing. There is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. Jesus has done everything. He's paid the price by taking our place 
the place that we deserve for all of the ways that we've rebelled against God. He's paid the price on the cross. But God's invitation to a relationship with him comes with an RSVP. There is something to do on our part to acknowledge that we've received his invitation, that we're accepting it, that we are saying yes to God. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Repent and be baptized. That's the RSVP. That's the response to his invitation that God is waiting for. All I would say to you, if you're in that category, is, oh, I'm so sorry, I've jumped a page. <laughs> now, like the crowd who are gathered there to listen to Peter, I suspect that many of us have a, a problem with that second step in the RSVP, baptism. The first step, repentance, well, we can do that privately. We can come to God in prayer, we can acknowledge what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we can ask for his forgiveness, and we can commit ourselves to go a different way. But baptism is not easy. It's not like clicking a reply button on an evite. It's public. It's an odd and an uncomfortable thing to do, which I rather think is the point. If we really have to put our trust in God, if we've really received his gift of new life, then we need to be willing to do something to demonstrate that, as much to prove it to ourselves as to prove it to others. In the New Testament, as people put their faith in Jesus, the consistent next step is for them to be baptized. Some of us put our faith in Jesus a long time ago. But for one reason or another, we've never taken that next step. Others of us were baptized as children. We're not sure what to do now. Well, I want to say to you, if that applies to you then, if promises were made on your behalf when you were young, that's fine. But it's time to make those promises your own now. In the New Testament, each person makes their own decision as a believer in Jesus to publicly demonstrate their faith and trust in him. The Bible gives a host of different reasons, different purposes for baptism. Now, Peter's words here, repent and be baptized, like in several other places in the New Testament, they're a command. So we get baptized as an act of obedience. But baptism is also an act of witness. When we get baptized, it's a, a witness to other believers. It's a witness, the scriptures say, to the powers of heaven and earth. And it's a witness to others who don't yet follow Jesus. Countless times over the 33 years that I've been participating in baptismal services, countless times, People have brought along family members or friends or colleagues. People who might never otherwise have understood how important their faith was to them. People they might never have been able to explain their faith to. But being baptized was a powerful message 
to those people they care about. Baptism itself, of course, this idea of going down into the water and coming out of it again, that's a symbol of washing uh, past sins and burdens away. And I've seen people time and again experience release from things that they thought they could never leave behind them when they made that decision and were baptized. And baptism is also a symbol of the death of our old lives and resurrection to new life. In baptism, we identify with Jesus in his death and resurrection. So the Bible says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And in baptism, we also receive assurance that our faith in Jesus is real, that God's love for us is real, his acceptance of us, just as we are. But there's one other purpose for baptism that's particularly emphasized on this occasion when Peter preached the first sermon. The passage that we read ended, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Being added. Baptism as the, the entrance into the new community of God's people, the church. The New Testament says, you are all children of God through Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I wonder, those of you who know that verse well, whether you realize the context was baptism. Being baptized is a, a revolutionary, even a political act. It says that you belong to Christ, but it also says that you belong to his body, the church, and that in the church, all are equal. No social distinctions, no divisions of ethnicity or gender or class or economic position. Baptism is a declaration that you've joined a new community, a new society, and the rules have changed. Well, we're going to talk about that new community again in a couple of weeks' time. But for now, there are those here this afternoon, or perhaps you're watching online, maybe sometime later in the week, and you know that God has been speaking to you. You know that there is an invitation from God waiting for your reply. For some, the first step in responding to God's love for you is to repent, to turn around from the direction your life's been going and to put your faith in Jesus. And in a moment, I'm going to pray and you can join me in that prayer. For some, you've taken that step before but you've not been putting your whole life into his hands and your faith has drifted. You need to turn back to him today 
And so I'd invite you to pray as well. For some, you've never taken that next step and been baptized as a believer. Perhaps you still have doubts or fears, or perhaps you simply have questions. You're still not quite at the place of certainty, particularly if you've been baptized in some other form before. Well, I have good news for you. In two weeks' time, following the service here on November the 7th, Rebecca will be holding a baptism class where you can ask all of those kinds of questions. And if you have heard God's invitation today, and you want to respond by being baptized, then please let Rebecca know, or myself, or any of the other pastors know. And then come along to that class on November the 7th. And of course, you can always ask any of the pastors any questions that you have about baptism. So as we close then, will you pray with me? Just echo this prayer in your heart and mind, if it's the prayer for you. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I've sinned in my thoughts, words and actions. There are so many good things that I have not done, and there are so many sinful things I have done. I'm sorry for my sins, and I turn from everything I know to be wrong. Jesus, you gave your life upon the cross for me, and gratefully I give my life back to you. I ask you to come into my life. Come in as my saviour to cleanse me. Come in as my Lord to lead me. Come in as my friend to be with me. And I will serve you all the remaining years of my life in obedience. Amen. If you've decided this afternoon to be baptised, then please do tell someone of course, you need to tell Rebecca or one of the pastors so that we can arrange that. But I'd also encourage you to tell a friend, someone who will be pleased with that news and will encourage you. And if you had just prayed that prayer with me, again, please tell someone. Uh, and like in that high school assembly, I do have a booklet for you if this was a new step for you. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.